uh, New Hope Fellowship. If you can, please stand for the scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if, he, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died in the law, to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. These are words of God. Good afternoon, New Hope. Welcome to this gathering. Those of you who are guests here, we're very happy to have you with us. And thank you, Chai, for reading God's word to us. Let me just get set up here. We, um, we have been studying the Gospel of Mark for the past six months. Can you believe it's been that long? Six months in the Gospel of Mark. We're actually taking a break, as I announced last week, from the Gospel of Mark. Um, until next year, we'll come back to it. Now, just a, a, a preview of, of coming events. Next Sunday, Todd and Krista Blackhurst will be here. Todd and Krista are missionaries in Taiwan. And so we've, we've had Todd here before. I don't know if Krista's ever been here. But we get, to, we get to see and hear from several of our missionary partners this October, which we're super grateful for. In addition to the cowards, we get to see the Blackhurst. And Todd Blackhurst will be preaching God's word to us next week when he's here. Then on the following Sunday, we until, we'll start a series that'll take us through our church covenant. That'll be an opportunity for us over about 11 weeks to think about what it means to be a member of a local church. But today, I'm going to invite you to open up a Bible, if you have one, to the book of Galatians. To the book of Galatians. And if you're wondering why I'm asking you to open up to Galatians, it's because many of us are going to be studying this book in our men's and women's discipleship groups, which will start meeting next week, as Tim just announced. And so I know that not all of you have registered for men's or women's discipleship groups. If you're a man or a woman and you haven't registered, I'm hoping that by the end of today, you may decide to register and go ahead and do that. But even if you're not going to be a part of men's or women's discipleship groups this year and you can't, I, I would like all of us to know what it is that we're going to be focusing our attention on in that season. And for some of you maybe who can't join a discipleship group this season, maybe you can study the book of Galatians anyway, on your own, or with a friend, or with someone in your family. So we're going to I, I don't normally do this. Normally we preach through books of the Bible uh, section by section. But the other elders and I, we, we thought that this would be a good way for us to kick off our discipleship group season by, by looking together briefly at this book and what it's about. Now, if you don't know what a discipleship group is, I'll explain that later. But for now, 
three things, three questions we want to ask. What is Galatians? Why are we studying it? And how will we be studying it? What is it, first of all? What is Galatians? It's a letter, first of all. Each book of the Bible has its own genre. For instance, some books of the Bible are poetic. Their genre is poetry. Other books of the Bible are narratives, like the Gospel of Mark that we were just looking at for the past six months. Galatians is what we call an epistle. An epistle simply means a letter. A letter written by an individual to another individual to another group of individuals. Now understanding the genre of the type of literature that you're studying matters. It's the first step really in understanding what you're reading. Knowing the genre of the book of the Bible that you're reading will will help you to make sense of its content and, and protect you from misunderstanding its content too. So first thing we need to know, Galatians is a letter. Second of all, it was written by the Apostle Paul. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul makes it clear that he is an apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent out with a specific message, sent on a mission with a message. When the Bible uses the the word apostle, usually it's in reference to one of the 12 men who Jesus Christ commissioned to, he chose and commissioned to represent him as his apostles, to be on his mission and to deliver his message. If you remember, back in the spring sometime, we studied Mark chapter 3, and I believe Alex Lee preached to us from Mark 3 about how Jesus chose and commissioned his apostles. He made them his messengers. He made them his representatives. Now, what apostles did is they called people to follow Jesus, and they taught people all that Jesus had taught them. That was their job. That was their mission. They also planted churches. Churches that were then commissioned to continue that same work of teaching people about Jesus, calling people to follow Jesus, and teaching those people everything that they had learned from Jesus. So Paul was an apostle. He was not one of those original 12 apostles, but he nevertheless was chosen by Jesus. That's why he takes time to say so here. He says, I'm an apostle not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ. In other words, I didn't make myself an apostle. No one else made me apostle. Jesus did. He gave me this title. He gave me this job description. He gave me this mission and this message. Paul wasn't always committed to representing and serving Jesus, however. He wasn't always an apostle. He wasn't born one. Many of you know that for a long time, Paul committed, was committed not to serving Jesus, but to discrediting Jesus and, and eradicating his followers. He was a terrorist of sorts. He was passionate about eradicating the movement that had risen up after Jesus Christ was crucified and rose from the grave. He was passionate about that until he was interrupted while on his way to go arrest and and extradite some Christians, some followers of Jesus. And the one who interrupted him was Jesus himself, the risen Christ. Interrupted Paul and transformed him. 
transformed him into perhaps his greatest apostle. And I say greatest. I don't know how to rank apostles really, but I say greatest because Paul would go on to become an ardent missionary. He'd plant churches in many key cities and places around the world, including Cyprus. He would mentor leaders who'd go on to plant churches and lead churches. He wrote at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote at least 13 of them. Some people think he may have written one more. Hebrews is the one that's kind of in question. 13 of 27. And he did all this over 20 years. He accomplished a great deal. As zealously as he tried to eradicate Christianity, he was even more zealous to serve the Lord of Christianity, the Lord of the world. So that's the first thing we see. Galatians is a letter, and it was written by Paul. But thirdly, Galatians was written to churches that Paul himself had planted. He had planted these these churches in a a Gentile territory. There's a non-Jewish territory in a region of what would nowadays be considered Turkey. What Paul would do is when he would start a church in, in whatever region, he would spend some time there. He would appoint leaders there, make sure that the church had leaders to care for it, and then he would leave. He didn't stay very long anywhere. But what he would do after he left is he would stay in contact with the churches that he had started. He would continue to instruct them and shepherd them with letters, like the letter to the Galatians. This letter that we're going to be looking at in our discipleship groups this season is almost 2,000 years old. And it might be the oldest book of the New Testament. It was written somewhere around 48 AD. Think about that. We're reading a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago. And yet what we're going to find is it has deep relevance for us. In fact, not only is it relevant for us, its message is needful for us. That's the third thing. It was written to a church that Paul had planted. And then fourthly and lastly, about this book, it was written to address major problems in the churches in Galatia. After Paul had left this region, the the churches that he had left there had come under the influence of a group of people called the Judaizers. The Judaizers. They were a particular religious sect. They they held to particular beliefs. They were Jewish people, like Paul. Paul was also a Jewish man. And like Paul, they were Jewish people who claimed to follow Jesus as the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, who had been promised to the Jewish people um, for for centuries and had been long awaited. They had gotten Jesus' message twisted. These Judaizers did. They had gotten his teaching wrong, so much so that they questioned the validity of the message that Paul was preaching and teaching. They questioned the validity of the message that Paul was delivering to the churches that he had planted. They were questioning the message that Paul had founded these churches on. They even called into question Paul's apostleship. They say, this man's not legitimate. He's not a real apostle. That's why Paul goes out of his way to say, I'm an apostle. Not, I didn't name myself this. Jesus named me this. See, wherever Paul would plant a church, 
That church was always founded on one particular message, the message that we call the gospel. We've sung about it already today. The gospel means the news, the big news, the earth-changing news, the history-shaping news, all about Jesus Christ. It's news about a person, about Jesus. It's big news, and it encompasses everything that the Bible has to tell us about Jesus. We saw this when we were studying the, the gospel of Mark. At the very beginning of his book, he says, here begins the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes to tell us so much about Jesus. Everything that is true of Jesus is part of that good news. But, but this good news has a, 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 a fulcrum. It has a, a center point. It has a vital center and the Apostle Paul knew that the vital center of this news about Jesus is the message of the cross. That's what he would call it, the word of the cross or the message of the cross. You see, Paul understood that all that we know about Jesus centers, finds its, 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 its central connecting fulcrum at the cross where Jesus was crucified. The Apostle Paul taught that that cross was a historical event. Jesus Christ was, in fact, nailed to a tree. Not only was that cross, that crucifixion, historically true, it was a substitutionary death. It was a substitutionary crucifixion. That means Jesus died in the place of someone else. Jesus died in the place of sinners. Jesus Christ died in place of us. And he died in order to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. After living a life of complete and perfect obedience to God's laws, he died as if he had broken all those laws. And he did so as a substitute, as a sacrifice for people like us who have broken all those laws. That means that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe in him, it means that all of the obedience that he performed over the course of his life, all the law-keeping, all the perfect ways that he lived, gets credited to us. And the penalty that he paid gets credited to us as well. So that it is as if, it is as if we had lived the life that he lived. And it's through believing in that message of the cross, the, the substitutionary death of Jesus for us, Paul taught, that you could be reconciled to God. You could be, you not could be, but will be, if you believe in that message of the cross, you will be fully accepted, forgiven, even, get this, adopted by God made a member of his family. The Apostle Paul was obsessed with this message. He loved it. Nothing got him more excited than this message. It had transformed his life, and he had seen it transform the lives of so many people. And so he writes with urgency. He writes a confrontational letter in, in Galatians because he realizes that the people that he had entrusted this gospel to were losing their grip on it. They were being misled by these Judaizers. They were being dragged away from this life-saving message. You see, what happened is the Judaizers were insisting that Paul's Gentile converts weren't really children of God unless they also committed themselves to follow all of the 
Jewish ceremonial laws contained in the Old Testament. You see, these Judaizers would say, yes, Jesus' death was substitutionary, died for sinners. It's true. And yes, if we believe and entrust ourselves to him, we can find forgiveness, complete acceptance with God. We can become a part of God's family, adopted into his family. But, but, there's one piece you need to remember. In addition to that faith and that belief, you also need to keep these rules and regulations, these Jewish rules and regulations. So what they were essentially were saying was, you have to become Jewish in order to be a true follower of Jesus. Following those customs became a necessary part of being a real child of God. And this was not a small theological detail to the Apostle Paul. He saw this as a big problem. He saw how it was undermining the faith and the well-being and the, the health of this, these local churches. So look what he says in Galatians chapter 1, at the very beginning of the letter, verse 3. He says, grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, substitute, gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. To, that means to rescue our lives according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. See, Paul writes that at the very beginning of his letter. It says, greeting. Some of your Bibles may say, oh, a greeting, it says in there. These are not just niceties. These aren't just nice things that the Apostle Paul is saying. He's basically summing up his whole letter in those lines. He's saying, you're being told to keep rules. You're being told that keeping these rules is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. I'm going to start with this message, and I'm going to, come, I'm going to start with this word, and I'm going to keep coming back to it. He says, grace to you. Not get to work, not do better. Grace to you. Grace is unearned, undeserved favor and blessing. Paul wants his readers to know. Well, they already knew this, but they had somehow forgotten, and he wants them to remember. That adoption into God's family, forgiveness of your sins, cleansing from sin, all the things that you've done wrong, all the things that you've left undone, all of your failures, you can be freed and forgiven and cleansed of all of that by grace. Not by keeping rules, not by fulfilling commandments, but by grace. It can be given to you as a gift from God. And if you receive that gift of grace, you will have peace. That's why he says grace and peace to you. You will have peace with God. God forgives and redeems and adopts sinners by grace. Later on, he'll go on to explain that, that we access that grace, we access that forgiveness and acceptance by believing. By simply believing in the Christ who gave himself for us. Now, like I said, the Judaizers might affirm all that, but they would also have added another step. They said, yes, yes, that's all true, all true, all true. Also, keep the rules. Keep the rules. Paul says, no, no, no. Once you add something to this message of the cross, you actually end up with a different gospel altogether. He says, that's not just a lesser gospel. That's not, like, that, it's just a whole different gospel, he says. Look at what he says in, in Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Pay attention to what he said here. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting me. No, he doesn't say that. He also doesn't say, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. He didn't say that, although they are deserting the gospel. He says, I'm astonished that you're deserting him. You're deserting Jesus by turning to a different gospel. You see what this means? The implication here is if you have a different gospel, you actually have a different God. If you have a different gospel, you have a different Savior. By deserting the true message of the cross, you desert the Savior himself. You abandon him. He goes on to say, this is not, just to make clear, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, there is no other good news, no other real ultimate good news other than the message of the cross itself. Once we add to it, and it can no longer just be received by faith, by belief, we've distorted it. And Paul would say, we've deserted it. And as a result, you've deserted Jesus. In Galatians 2.16, he says, this is a central passage in the whole book of Galatians. He says, yet we know, this was read earlier by Chai, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you cannot be made right with God. You cannot be forgiven, accepted, and declared innocent before God, declared righteous by God by keeping rules. That's what works of the law means. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. You see, believe the message of the cross. Believe the Lord, who he is and what he's done for you. Believe, and then you receive justification. You've been declared righteous, forgiven, accepted. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Some have historically summarized the gospel this way, or this aspect of the gospel. It's, it, it's, the, the gospel communicates to us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It can only be received as a gift that's by grace alone, that gift can only be received by believing, that's by faith alone, and it's only available to us in the person of Jesus Christ alone who died for us. You add anything to that gospel, you lose it. Some have put it this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you got Jesus, add nothing to that, you got everything. But Jesus plus anything Leaves you with nothing. You see, when that gospel gets diluted or polluted, it ceases to be the good news. But if nothing is added to it, that message of the cross, Paul elsewhere says, it's the power of God for forgiveness, for salvation, for the Jew and for the Gentile, the non-Jew without works. 
So that's what Galatians is about. It's a, an effort to try to summarize in a few minutes this grand book of Galatians. But the next second question we got to ask is why are we studying it? Here's, here's one reason we're studying it, because it was written for us. I, before I said it was written for the churches in Galatia, that's true, it was also written for us. All of God's words were written for original readers in a certain time and space at a, at a particular point in history, but they were also written for all of God's people throughout history. This book was written for us. This letter is a letter to the churches in Westchester, too. The churches in Tarrytown. The churches in New York. Um, and, and by the way, it's for all of us in the church. It's for those of you who might consider yourself rule keepers and those of you who might consider yourself rule breakers. See, the Judaizers were rule keepers. They were like, if I'm really going to be a follower of Jesus, in order to make sure that I'm following Jesus, here's what I need to do in order to, for God to accept me. I need to trust in Jesus' obedience on my behalf, but I also need to perform very well. I need to keep the rules well, and he'll accept me on the basis of what Jesus did plus what I did. They're rule keepers. But some of us here maybe are not rule keepers. We're rule breakers. So the rule keepers, we need to hear this gospel of grace. We need to be reminded that all your rule keeping isn't going to get you any closer to God. It's not going to... It's not going to twist his arm and force him to accept you. No, all you need to do is believe in Jesus. So it's for the rule keepers, but it's also for the rule breakers. Because I wonder if some of us are rule breakers here. Some of us are, um, we, we like, we don't like uh, regulations, restrictions. We like doing our own thing and living our own way. But perhaps in the back of your mind, you know that if you continue to live that way, eventually it's going to catch up with you. The guilt the consequences, your sin will catch up with you. And what will you do then? What will you do then? You see, in that moment, even rule breakers tend to become rule keepers. When our sin catches up with us, when years and years of rejecting God and dishonoring him and disobeying him catch up with us, we think, oh, I got to turn over a new leaf. I got to do better. Where were those rules again? Let me start keeping them. <laughs> Let me do better. That's what, that's what, uh, and when uh, Jesus tells the, the parable of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, that's what we see. The older brother is a rule keeper. The younger brother is a rule breaker. He breaks all the rules. He goes off. But when he realizes it all catches up to him, what does he think? What does he do? He says, I better go back home and tell my dad that I'll work hard. <laughs> I'll keep the rules if you'll simply accept me back. He became a rule keeper at the end of the story, didn't he? This book is for rule breakers and rule keepers, and it shows us that there is a better way. There is a better way. In fact, the only way to relate to God himself is on the basis of his grace. His grace. Now, we drift naturally from this message of the cross. We naturally drift away from it towards rule keeping or rule breaking. The book of Galatians is here to reorient us, to pull us back in to see the glorious beauty of this message of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus and all of its implications for our lives. But there's another reason we're studying this too. We're studying this because our mission as a church depends on it. I heard someone recently say that the church is a news agency. Have you ever heard this? It resonated with me. A news agency, you know, like Reuters or uh, the Associated Press, or I don't know where you get your news, CNN, Fox News, whatever. You get your news, a news agency. We have been commissioned by God to preserve and transmit, broadcast, communicate this news of the gospel. 
But in order to communicate this news well, we need to have our facts straight, don't we? We must know the news if we're going to communicate the news. Maybe you've seen in the past where um, uh, news sources like the New York Times or, or some other kind of news source will have to like issue a retraction. You've seen this? Where they have to, you know, maybe on October 1st they publish some news. October 2nd they need to go back and say, oh, we got that wrong. Sorry. My right, little, little note. We, we messed that up. Here's the, here's the real news. Um, I think the church has, over the centuries, at times, had to publish retractions. We have, as a church, sometimes gotten the news wrong. Um, I think the Protestant Reformation of the 17th, 16th centuries were, were, in a sense, one big retraction. Like, we got this wrong, everyone. Here's the real news. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, not by the works of the law. And so we need to guard that news, make sure we get it straight. And that means we need to go back to it and study it. We need to study it. And that's what we're going to be doing. But thirdly, it's not just that our mission depends on it. Our life depends on this news. Our life depends on this news. We are all sinners in need of salvation. We need this news. And some of us have heard the message of the cross a lot. We can recite it, we get it, but maybe we don't really believe it. We, we, maybe we haven't really received it. I, I shared months and months ago, I think it was during the Mark series, about a lieutenant in World War II named Hiro Onoda. Do you remember Hiro Onoda? Hiro Onoda was a lieutenant in the Japanese army who fought in the Philippines during World War II. The war ended in 1945, and at that point, Onoda and three other soldiers were in a jungle. When they first heard news that the war was over in October of 1945, they didn't believe the news. <laughs> they concluded that it was an allied propaganda attempt. And towards the end of 1945, Leaflets were dropped into the jungle just so Onada and his, and his, and his, and his, uh, his comrades could, could read the news that the war was over. They still didn't believe. They studied the leaflet, closely examined it to determine if it was authentic or not. Was it genuine? And they decided it was not. This is fake news, they said. This is not real. 1952, seven years later, the letters and family pictures, so their family pictures from their families were dropped into the jungle by aircraft. The soldiers concluded it was still a trick. They didn't believe the news. Eventually, Onoda was the only one left alive. And it, was, it wasn't until 1974, 29 years later, that Onoda's commanding officer traveled into the jungle to convince them that the news was true. You see, big news can change your life. But in some cases, in order to experience the benefits of that big news, you need to believe it. You need to stop distrusting it and embrace it. For some of us, maybe that's how we've been dealing with this message of the cross. We're still examining it. We're still distrusting it. Studying Galatians hopefully will bring some of us to a place where we finally embrace it as true. And some of us, maybe we believe it, but its implications have not trickled down into the corners of our lives. We're not applying the news that we've believed 
I believe that as we study Galatians together, we're going to be forced to come to terms with how we relate to this message of the cross. We're going to be encouraged to think carefully about what we're doing with this message. Are we living a life founded on it or not? Let me give you an example. What do you do when you failed to keep God's commandments? How do you respond when you have sinned? Perhaps you have sinned sexually. Maybe something as simple as being harsh to someone, or you've betrayed a loved one, or you've consistently ignored what God has called you to do. In whatever way, in whatever form, you've made a mess of your life, and you've hurt others. What do you do when you realize that that's the case? How do you respond to that? Do you, do you ignore it and hope you can get to sleep at night without thinking about the guilt and the shame that you've brought upon yourself? Do you just try to do better, turn over a new leaf? Do you give up and say, what's the point? It is who I am. It, this is who I am. Do you try to atone for your, like pay for your failures? Make up for your failures by hurting yourself or something like that? By punishing, exacting some kind of punitive, some kind of penalty on yourself? Or, or, or when you realize that you've made a mess of, of, of your life and you've hurt others, do you return to the finished work of Jesus? Do you go back to the cross, to the message of the cross, and say, Lord, you've said, you've said that your, your death on the cross was sufficient to cover all of my sins. I didn't know I was going to make this big of a mess, but you did. You knew. And you paid for it. I confess my sin openly to you. And I receive the forgiveness that you have offered me freely. Not by trying to keep the rules, but by simply believing. And then allowing that, allowing that grace, the forgiveness and mercy that you've experienced for free apart from works, allowing that to then motivate you to go obey God. Is that how you respond? Some of us might have to answer, it depends on what day you catch me on. Sometimes I respond that way, but not all the time. Sometimes I ignore my sins. Sometimes I try to make up for it. Sometimes I try to excuse it and rationalize it. Other times I just feel like giving up, like what's the point? The book of Galatians is here to help us bring the totality of our lives under the umbrella of God's grace in Jesus. So over the next season as discipleship groups, we are going to ask, what am, I, what am I prone to add to the gospel? What do I tend to replace the gospel with or, or supplement the gospel with in my own life? What, what, am I, what do I functionally put my hope in instead of the finished work of Jesus? And hopefully we'll ask each other those questions in a, in a way not to judge one another, obviously, but to help one another believe more deeply and functionally the message of the cross. The last question, I'll end with this, we got to ask is, how will we study the book of Galatians? How will we study it? Well, for those of you who are registering for a discipleship group, have already registered, or you're about to today at the end of the service, here's how we're going to study. First of all, what are our discipleship groups? To disciple, simply put, means to help someone know and follow Jesus. That means to dis that's what it means to disciple someone. Now, it can look different ways, but if you're discipling someone or someone's discipling you, you are helping one another to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. 
That's what we want to do in our discipleship groups. And usually we do this in our discipleship groups through studying the Bible. Most, most typically, that's what we do. We study the Bible because studying the Bible, learning what the Bible has to say to us is a huge part of knowing and following Jesus. But when we're studying the Bible, we can't just allow that to become a purely academic or intellectual exercise. We certainly don't want to think of studying the Bible as just like a rule-keeping thing, right? Like, I'm studying the Bible so that God will accept me. No, no, no. I'm studying the Bible so that God will forgive me for all the bad things. No, no, it's not that. But we certainly also don't want studying the Bible to become kind of purely academic pursuit. If we're going to help one another know and follow Jesus, we need to do more than just understand God's word. We need to internalize it. The message of Galatians is good news to us if we hear it, understand it, and internalize it. As someone once said, we can't just read the Bible for information. We must read it for transformation. And so, in our discipleship groups, we're going to be using two resources. This is one of them. It's called Galatians Gospel Matters. If you've registered for a discipleship group or you're about to register, please grab a copy of this book. It's up here. It's, I highly recommend that you use it. And the way I suggest you use it is you use it at home. Throughout the week, use the questions in here in each unit to study the book of Galatians verse by verse, chapter by chapter, respond, jot down answers to the questions in here, and it'll give you a better grasp of its message. It'll inform you. And then when you get together with your discipleship group, you might want to use some of the questions that are in here, but I also encourage you to lean heavily on this resource, which is going to be emailed to each of you if you're in our database this week. It's a discipleship guide for Galatians. It's very short. There's one page in here for each unit in this book. It corresponds one-to-one. And the questions in there you'll find are aimed at helping you turn content that may feel intellectual or academic or impersonal and abstract and help you personalize it and internalize it. All right, so you'll find in here, each, each section in here has three sections. There's memorizing, personalizing, and praying. Memorizing is just a passage in there that you're suggest is a suggested passage for you to memorize along with your group members. Memorizing scripture is one of the ways that we can not only recall God's word, but God can use it to help us internalize his word as well. Christians and God's people have been doing it for a long, long time. But then there's a section called personalizing, and the questions in there are aimed not at just did you understand what Galatians says, but they ask you to reflect on your own experiences, share some of your stories with the other members of your group, consider how this message of the cross is shaping your life or not shaping your life. It's a chance to engage at a deeper level around the message of the cross and how it relates to our lives. And then lastly, there's a section there on praying with some suggestions for how you might pray. So that's how I'm suggesting that you, that we as a church study this book of Galatians together. Now, if you're not in a, in a discipleship group and you, don't, and you can't join one this, uh, this, this year, these are men's and women's groups that meet typically once a week. 
Uh, some of them meet online, some of them meet in person. If you go to the link on our website, you can see the schedules for them and you can figure out which one fits your schedule. And if none of them do, I wanna encourage you nevertheless to study the book of Galatians. You can even use these resources. Now I'd ask that you leave these books for those who have registered for discipleship group, let them take them. But then if, you're, if there'll be some left over, We'll give those out too, and we can get more if we need to. It would be great for everyone to have one of these and be able to use it. Maybe each family can have one and use it, even if you're not part of a DG. If you are part of a discipleship group, I'm just going to ask you, will you commit yourself to an in-depth study of this book? Will you commit yourself to 10 to 12 weeks, however long it'll be, depending, some, some groups move fast, some move slower. Will you commit yourself to using this book first to study Galatians throughout the week on your own and then come together and use these resources together to dive in deeper as a group, as fellow sinners in need of God's grace who know, who know that you need more. You need more of this message of the cross because you're prone to desert it. You're prone to add something to Jesus. And I'm hoping that as we come out of the fall season, we'll be more deeply rooted, more able to communicate the gospel because we're living by the gospel, and more deeply rooted in the reality that Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. Please pray with me. Father, we're very grateful for your word. And, and today was different, Lord. Usually we like to just jump in and dive into your word and, and, and look at it section by section. This was different. I, I hope it wasn't a stumbling block to anyone. I hope it, I hope it helps us as a, as a church. Lord, please do this. Our hope is in you. Please do this. Use your word, in particular, this message of the cross that's communicated us, to us through Galatians. Use it, Father, please. The message of salvation by grace to rescue to rescue us from ourselves and from false gospels and from whatever we might be putting our hope in. We pray that we would be a church unified, not around uh, political candidates, unified not around um, uh, a fandom or, or even around uh, ethnic markers or anything like that. We desire to be a church that's united around <sighs> salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. In his name we ask it. Amen.